Good morning. My name is Alicia Bales. I'm in the studio for a live special public affairs show this morning. Uh, on Christmas Eve, Mendocino County Sheriff's Department sent out a press release about an outbreak of COVID-19 in the Mendocino County Jail in Ukiah. Uh, Saturday, December 19th, according to the press release, a corrections deputy employed at the jail reported he'd had a positive COVID test so a week ago, and then contact tracing identified two potential exposures to this deputy. Uh, and then public health came to test all staff and inmates. Three inmates felt there were um, a second positive test was discovered of a staff member and then uh, a third of another staff member on the 21st and um, on the 22nd of last week three more three inmates fell ill and were tested and they were discovered to be positive Um, their housing unit was quarantined per jail policy uh, and the next morning on Wednesday of last week, another inmate and in another unit was tested positive. So that housing unit was also quarantined, along with a deep cleansing of the jail, a deep cleaning of the jail. Um, now, public health came in and conducted full testing of all of the staff and the inmates. And by Christmas Eve on Thursday, 17 inmates had tested positive. So we're going to get the latest on the outbreak of COVID-19 at the jail. We have on the line with us Lieutenant John Bedner, who is the public information officer for the corrections in the sheriff's department. And Sheriff Matt Kendall is on the line. Welcome both of you to KZYX. Thank you so much for coming on to give the community the latest on the situation at the jail. Hey, thank you for having us, Alicia. Good morning. And John, are you there? Lieutenant Bedner? Well, so can you yeah. bring us up to date about um, how where we are now? The last we heard was Christmas Eve, and there were 17 inmates and five staff. The numbers have changed, right? They have. So uh, currently we have 15 inmates that um, are in custody still that have tested positive. Uh, two of those were released uh, per protocols through public health. So, um, and as of this morning, I have eight employees that are out testing positive with COVID. Okay. And how many staff do you have at the jail? How big of a percentage is eight employees? Eight employees is about one entire shift. So I have four shifts of, of staff. Um, I believe now I have 46 staff. Okay, so it's about a quarter of your your staff there at the jail has is now in isolation. Um, and what about the inmates? You said that there were seventeen inmates who have tested positive. Uh, two of them have been released, and now there are fifteen currently incarcerated. Um, talk about those two who have been released. So I believe one got they, they, he was released on bail. The other, I believe, was time served. So we work with public health, and they arranged housing for those two inmates. Okay, so neither of them was released out into the community. They're both currently still in isolation. Correct. Is that down at the um, public health facility in South Ukiah? That's my understanding, yes. Okay. And Sheriff Kendall, you were actually one of the people who was exposed to the to the deputy, um, and are yourself currently under quarantine. I am, I am, and uh, luckily I have a two story home, and so I stayed upstairs when my wife was downstairs. She did not like the idea of having to bring my meals up the stairs, and so she'd cook me a little supper and then go outside for a minute. 
I was trying to work that for all that I could, and it didn't work out so well for me. The, yeah, the family members of people in quarantine have a, a hard road to hoe, I think, when you can't go outside or you can't... Well, you've been going outside, but you can't go to, to the store or do any of your... Of your important errands yourself, so kudos to her for for doing that heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about how things unfolded at the jail. Um, either one of you, when did you first hear about the the deputy, and, and what were the circumstances of his exposure? We first heard about the deputy that that uh, day that he contacted us. And correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, John. He'd been on days off, uh, began to feel ill got tested and then uh, contacted us, you know, as soon as he knew that he had a positive. So he had already been out of work feeling sick for a few days before the positive test. Uh, I believe that he had actually gone on his days off on his weekend and then began to feel, you know, like he had symptoms. And so he tested. Any idea where he was exposed? No, and, you know, one of the nice things with the um, PCR testing that we learned last night from Dr. Doohan is that when you do PCR or PTR testing, um, excuse me, PCR testing, I'm, all these acronyms are a little tough for me at times. They're actually getting to the point where they can look at the DNA in the virus and it will help us to track it to where it came from. And because of that, I think that by the time that we're done with this, we're going to get a big picture about how this flowed, and it will be really beneficial for any future things that occur like this, any outbreaks, because if we can get that big picture and we can say, ooh, this was the problem, or if we can see how it migrated through custody, um, you know, we've been very, very lucky at Mendocino County that we've been nine months into this before we had an outbreak. And so, not, not that we're lucky that we have an outbreak. Trust me, I, I'm really upset about this. It's, it's just concerning to me. But we're lucky that we're one of the last Northern California jails to have this outbreak because we've got this roadmap of what went well and what needed to be done better from a lot of different jails, a lot from the state prison system. We learned lessons from every mistake that was made and every good idea that came up. And so it's building that roadmap for us that we need right now. All right. Well, I definitely want to talk about the sort of the bigger picture and how Mendocino County and the jail fits in with the uh, staggering rates of infection in the state's jails and prison population. Um, but I'd like to go back to, to what's happening down there on Logap Road right now. Um, 17 inmates seems like a, a whole, a, a very large number of inmates. And we don't know that that's going to be all that we find because you're still conducting testing of all of the, of the inmates and waiting for those test results to come back. So I wonder how, um, it went from one deputy to 17 inmates. Can you sort of give us a sense of what you've discovered about how it's spread in the jail? Well, it is in um, two locations in the jail that we've locked down. Now, the biggest portion of it is in the unsentenced side. And the unsentenced side has, you know, we have corrections officers that show up every day for work, but we have from five to 25 bookings a day. And so there's two different um, types of, of people who are showing up at the jail, those in custody and those not in custody. And so we're not sure if it was brought in by one of those uh, arrestees who was asymptomatic or if it was brought in by um, an officer who was asymptomatic. We're just not certain on that one. Um, and hopefully in the future, 
with the you know the things that Dr. Doon and Dr. Corn were talking about last night, we may be able to draw a picture of how this works. So the deputy who tested positive on December 19th was somebody who books people as they're coming in to custody? Well, I'm not sure what his main job was, but we, we have different jobs that these guys can work every night. They receive a shift assignment when they show up. Got it. Some guys booking, some guys will work custody on the floor. Some guys will work as a basically a roving deputy to help move inmates and things like that. And so... John, do you know if that uh, subject had been working booking, or do you know what his assignment was? Um, well, like you're saying, Sheriff, you know everybody kind of changes shit or changes jobs every day. So one day you may come in and work booking, the next you might be working out in the housing unit. So um, I, I don't recall exactly where he had been working, but I know that he had been working throughout the jail. And so it sounds like there are a lot of opportunities for contact between staff and inmates and also obviously inmates and inmates because they're in a congregate living facility. They all live together in very close quarters. Um, So you're not sure if it was the inmate, I mean, sorry, the deputy who brought it in or if it had been brought in by by someone who had been booked into the jail. Yeah, no, we're just not sure yet. All right. And then um, you found out that through contact tracing, the jail's own contact tracing, though, right? This is all before it got to public health or to the to the county level. So you talked with the deputy. You found out that he'd uh, been in close contact with two other staff members, including yourself. And then what happened? Then uh, we had uh, 100 percent of the staff tested. And 100% of the inmates tested, or I believe 100%. We had a couple of fellows who, no, I'm not going to test. Well, but they were explained, if you don't test, then you're going to have to be in quarantine for 14 days. And most of them said, you know what? We think we'd rather have a test. We'll have the swab. And, yeah, that occurred uh, uh, Thursday, Friday, or excuse me, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and so we expect that we're going to have numbers rise a little bit. Um, I've been on the phone with a lot of other sheriffs who have had this exact same issue. And they were saying that, you know, you can expect to be in the thick of this for about 16 days. And by 21 days, it's going to dive off um, because that that rotation of it moving kind of slows down. And so then what our next goal is, we're working on the outbreak testing twice a week um, with staff and inmates. And then after that, we're working on the plan for the uh, surveillance testing. And now the nice part is that the surveillance testing, a lot of it is that rapid test. But the sad part about it is the rapid test, they have a, a general rule. If a person is positive, they believe it. If they're negative, they repeat it with that, that PCR test. So, and it sounds like the the original deputy who was reported a positive test on Saturday the 19th, um, and then testing started on Thursday, so it seems like there's kind of a gap in time there. Um, wh- what was the delay in testing? Why wasn't testing done immediately on, sun- on the next day? No, there was a lot of testing that was begun the next day with okay. people that he had been in contact with, but we had to line up all those tests to do 100%. Got it. So you had to, public health had to find the, the testing kits and, and bring them out to the jail. Yeah, and NAVCARE is the one who, our, our, our jail medicals, who actually administered those tests. And then, you know, it's we went from testing uh, 
people who are close contact and stuff like that to an entire, you know, 300 and some odd people. Right. So and so what happened immediately after? Do you have a plan in place? Did you shut down or quarantine or cordon off the different housing units? Maybe you can explain to our listeners how that that the jail is structured and what plans you have in place that you activated to protect people from the spread. And that's one of the things that, uh, you know, we kind of have to be thankful for the mistakes of others on because we had seen what had happened in the state prison system and various other jails before we understood this real well. And so we know that you do not start moving prisoners throughout the jail when you have one of these things. John uh, and Captain Pierce, their crew over there immediately began all of these procedures as far as quarantine um, different locations. And John can go into that. He's much better versed at it than I am. It's been almost 30 years since I worked the jail. Um, but we, we used a lot of those lessons learned from other locations and only positives are with positives. And then we quarantine the entire module. Um, John, if you want to jump in and explain the, the nuts and bolts of that. Okay. So, uh, basically we have a policy in place for uh, communicable disease and, um, back in about 2007, 2008, we created this policy and it was based on the, the, uh, swine flu and avian flu. And so when COVID came around, we took that policy, we adapted it for COVID. And so basically we just implemented it. Um, and what we do is we'll, we'll take the entire housing unit, um, keep them in place, don't allow anybody to come or go from that housing unit. Um, and that way we ice we, if we move folks who are negative today into another housing unit basically they could become positive in two or three days and now we have another outbreak in a separate housing unit so um how our jail is broke down we have four different main housing units in each building um and we have we had an outbreak in one housing unit in the old main jail and one outbreak in um one of the housing units in our newer building too and so far, it's just been the men's housing units, just the men's side of the jail, where you found cases, or have you found any in the women's side? Just in the male side. And so you said you have four housing units at the jail. Um, how many of those units are involved? Two out of the four? Actually, we, we have four housing units in each building, so a total of eight, oh, and got it. it's affecting two housing units. Okay, so it's... Um, quarter of the housing units right now are involved do you know how Correct. it got there's uh, how many inmates in each housing unit are affected uh in one housing unit it's only two the other housing unit um had 15 um and that one's down to 14 or excuse me 13 now okay so the two Um, releases have come from the the one housing unit with the most cases um do you know how it jumped between the housing units or you still just don't know well we have inmates that work within the facility um they do things like uh cleaning duties they prepare meals they serve meals things like that so um it it would only be a guess but I, i would assume that there was some contact at some point between um, some of the inmates in the working unit and um, somebody who's positive in the main jail. 
And I wonder, too, how, uh, in terms of prevention at the jail, how frequently inmates and staff are tested as a policy. Like, do you do surveillance testing of inmates at the jail regularly? Up until this point, we have not done a lot of surveillance testing. It's been, if anyone comes in the door, uh, we've done um, quarantining at the door, things like that, especially if they came from those areas that were hot spots. They were tested when they came in. That's how we located those, those initial two that they had been brought in from out of the area on warrants. Um, and so we, we located those initial two, and they were all asymptomatic, but we were able to quarantine them and have no spread. Now, you got to remember, when this first kicked off, there wasn't a lot of tests available. And so we had to go to, if we have someone who's got symptoms, or if they come from a hot spot, or if they come from out of area, you know, we were using those things. But now that those rapid tests and everything are getting so much more available, we're doing a lot more of this. And... You know, we're going to wind up basically until everybody is vaccinated and this thing's over, we're going to wind up doing uh, surveillance testing on a constant rotation. Do you have plans for that right now that are sort of official policy or you just you're coming up with that? Uh, we have plans for it. It's the nuts and bolts of how to get it done is always the issue. Um, we've been working on that for the last couple of days. And then the corrections officers are going to get tested twice a week down at OptumServe. Because, you know, that way we can do the surveillance testing for the inmates that are in there. But the corrections officers, when they get off shift, can run right down to OptumServe and get it taken care of. And that will lighten some of the load in there. Right, because the inmates obviously can't run down to OptumServe. Uh, we have one sort of reliable, free testing source in Ukiah, and it's OptumServe, but the inmates can't access it. So are they are they reliant on you bringing testing kits in and public health rounding up enough when an outbreak like this happens? I wonder, um, for the people who are being booked into the jail, are you saying you didn't have a policy of testing everybody? You just tested people that you suspected were from hotspots? Yeah, originally. And those hotspots were pretty easy to see, if you remember back just a few months ago. And then, you know, anybody who came from out of the area, of course, was um, quarantined. And then we've also got a uh, protocol at the front door. And if they hit any red flags whatsoever, and <laughs> strangely enough, COVID symptoms seem to run the gamut. I mean, it's literally from almost nothing at all to man a person is dying um any thing that a cold a flu a headache all of these things that people would normally suffer can be a covid symptom and so if we hit any of those flags of course they were quarantined and tested so so this is Alicia Bales. I am in the studio and on the line is Lieutenant John Bedner who is the public information officer for the corrections uh, department at the County Jail and Sheriff Matt Kendall were talking about the ongoing current outbreak at the Mendocino County Jail. As Sheriff Kendall said, this is our first outbreak. We've had a couple of cases at the jail over the course of the pandemic, but this is the first one where we we are seeing numbers. Uh, we currently have 15 inmates in the facility who have tested positive. Eight staff members are currently in isolation and uh, we're waiting more test results to and the expectation is that there will be more cases 
uh, turned up through the testing that's currently going on right now. Um, I wonder, Lieutenant Bedner, um, how are the inmates doing? Can you talk about their uh, health conditions? Um, are they running the range from asymptomatic to, to very serious? Has anyone been hospitalized? And how are their family members able to keep tabs on their uh, their condition? Well, so far from what we've seen, um, we've had folks that are asymptomatic. Um, the, the biggest uh, complaints we've had were um, some of the inmates were complaining of slight flu-like symptoms and nausea, things like that. We have not had to hospitalize anybody. Um, we've been uh, quarantining them in their cells, so um, it, it makes it a little bit more difficult because we can't let them out to use the phones, things like that. So we've been a little bit more accommodating with families that call in kind of so you know, we let them know what's going on and uh, what the latest is. So it, it's difficult, but um, like I said, we just try to be more accommodating with the public when they call. And um, what are, can you talk about the ages of the people? We know that um, significantly older people have more uh, negative outcomes. Is, what are the range of ages of the people who have tested positive in the jail? I don't have specific ages, but um, just from the, Alicia, the persons I, that I know. Probably, I don't know if it's oh, my ahead. internet connection or yours, but something's cutting out here. You sound good to us. Oh, can, can you okay. hear us? I've got you now. Thank okay, you. Okay, great. All right, sorry. Uh, Lieutenant Bedner, the ages of the of the positives? So um, just from my observations, I would say probably from the 20s up into maybe the mid-50s as far as age range. Okay, so no, no elderly folks. No, we've got one that's in there that I know personally. I've known him for years. Um, who is, you know, in that upper range? I would say he's probably. Oh, let me think. He's probably sixties, early sixties, maybe. Um, and that subject has been moved to um, basically an isolation unit um, over the main jail. Because we are concerned about that one's age. Mm -hmm. But so far, he's been been good. Good. Well, um, how and have families been calling? I've seen some concern online on social media from people who have friends and family in the facility uh, who are very concerned about how the how their loved ones are doing. Um, Have you heard a lot from families? We've heard according to staff. That's not a COVID cough. That was my coffee going the wrong way. We've actually heard quite a bit. I've heard quite a bit, um, taking a lot of phone calls and whatnot regarding this. Um, And to be honest with you, a lot of outpouring of support from the public just basically saying, you know, we're all with you, that type of thing. And let's face it, I mean, there are some people who get a little bit vicious when it comes to inmates. Uh, that is not appreciated by any of us. Um, you mean the, the sort of, well, they committed a crime, they're in jail, they deserve what they get kind of attitude? Yeah, and that is not the kind of attitude that I want to see or hear. John and I both grew up in this area. Um, we've got some buddies who, they're our friends, but they're probably not choir boys. Have they been in jail? Absolutely. But they're still my buddies. Um, I'm friends with their parents. John's friends with their parents. We want them to be just as safe and better off when they walk out the door than when they walked in. And 
I'm sorry. I think that's a goal. I think it should be a goal for anybody who runs a jail. And what about the uh, the staff members? How are they doing? They're doing pretty well. But you have to remember that most of the folks who are working in here are younger, healthier people. Um, we, we, we've got a few guys who are up there in years who have worked for a long time. We have some serious concerns for them. We don't want to get them exposed. Um, but I would say the biggest cross-section of the jail are, you know, 20s to mid-30s, a few guys into their early 40s. All right. And so I'm, I'm curious, you said that um, the, the inmate who's in his early 60s, who you're most concerned about because of his age, has been brought into the main jail and put into an isolation facility. What kinds of facilities do you have to isolate folks? Um, and it sounds like in the housing unit, you've got the, the known positives quarantining together. Um, mm-hmm. And so talk about that. How are you how are you protecting the inmates who um, are not infected? Go ahead, John. Well, basically what we're trying to do is just keep the the positive inmates away from the negative inmates. Some of the housing units, that's a little bit more difficult because the cells are basically open on the front. So just creating as much distance as possible. That's the the biggest thing that we've tried to do from the beginning of this. Um, Even uh, as early as March and April, we were separating inmates in cells, so we would have two inmates in a three-person cell, we were having them uh, use the bottom bunk and the top bunk just to create as much separation as possible. And and that's what we're continuing to try to do. Is there a a universal masking policy in the facility right now? Yes, we do. We have um, everybody, when they come into the facility, they're issued uh, facial coverings, and uh, they're required to use those anytime they're out in, in common areas of the jail, such as like a day room or exercise area. So um, we try to enforce that as much as possible. The, the bad part is, is we get a little kickback from the inmates. So it's kind of a constant battle. But um, with the recent outbreak, um, they've kind of come to understand that um, it's a serious thing. So they've been wearing them a lot, a lot more frequently. You still have um, people moving through the jail and doing recreation and, and their different uh, jobs and things like that right now? Or do you have everything locked down? Just the specific housing areas that are on quarantine, um, but the rest of the inmates, we, we still have, they, they have um, rights that we need to try to uphold. So we, we try to get them outside and get some fresh air um, and get a little bit of recreation time outside of the housing units uh, because that's, it's healthy. So um, as long as there's no uh, inmates that are positive in those areas, we're not really changing what we're doing in those specific housing units. Are you concerned that some of the inmates may be positive, but asymptomatic? Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to get 100% tested. It's that asymptomatic person that you don't know about. They could, you know, go, go, go. And having um, those two units that we know we have the um, folks in, basically quarantine that's super helpful but making sure that we get a hundred percent of those tests back and we're thinking that we should get them and let's see today's tuesday is probably they're going to trickle they're going to trickle in today and tomorrow okay and so and you're expecting that you're probably going to find some more cases right 
Yeah, it, we, we absolutely expect to find those asymptomatics because it seems to be more the rule and not the exception. Um, and speaking with other sheriffs and whatnot, they would have a symptomatic person and then suddenly, you know, they would do mass testing and find out, you know, for every two symptomatics, there was three who were asymptomatic. And it was just kind of a one jail. They had a mishmash of things. One jail, everybody who had it seemed to have symptoms. Um, so there's no real rhyme or reason to it. It's it's like, um, you know, just like any place else. I, I know a husband who caught it. Um, living in the same house as his wife, did not realize that he had it for, I don't know, five or six days, something like that. He goes and gets tested. He quarantines. His wife never caught it. Really just an odd thing. And you would think man and wife living in the same house, you know. Yeah, she would wife, be a presumed positive, I guess. Yeah, and she was. She she locked down. She was presumed positive, but never came down with it. Or at least never tested positive for it. Net. She never tested positive. We'll put it that way. Um, but I believe that uh, they both got three rounds of tests. He was, you know, positive, positive, positive. She was negative, negative, negative. And it was the uh, the good test, the PCR. Oh. Right. Well, I mean, we've all been sort of functioning with this assumption that um, the, the safest thing to do is just presume that you have it whenever you're interacting yeah. with with other people. So that's why I was curious about uh, the other inmates at the facility and the idea that like if I was one of those two guys in in the housing unit where it's or if I was one of the guys in the housing unit with the two guys quarantined with them, I would not be feeling very happy right now i mean it just seems like sort of a a ticking time bomb matter of time before you get it from these guys so i just wonder that that's not how things are going over there right i've got a false assumption about that that there's two guys in with with the population of the housing unit who are positive they're isolated yeah they're isolated in that unit away from everybody it's it's one of these things where we have we have different types of doors in the jail also some okay. some doors big screen some of them are glass you know when you close the door you actually have a glass window there um, different things like that where we have the ability to move things around um, the older fellow who was put into the uh, the isolation unit um, he's not experiencing anything terrible but because of his age we need to have the abundance of caution and then the other thing that we're doing is we're looking at any comorbidities, any pre-existing conditions um, of anybody who's tested positive, and then we're going to move that out to 100% of the jail, even the ones that haven't tested positive, <clears throat> because those are the ones that are going to be concerning to us. People who may suffer worse outcomes just because of others, other illnesses or conditions that they have going into the jail. One of the things you said, Sheriff Kendall, was that um, the most significant number of infections in the jail right now are of people who have not yet been convicted. And you were talking yeah. about um, people's attitude toward inmates and toward people who are in the carceral system. Just, you know, whatever happens to them, they, they committed a crime too bad. Uh, too bad if you die of COVID in there, which is a pretty abhorrent attitude. But you're talking about people, a majority of the people who are now positive in the jail have not been convicted, but are being held before trial. Um, mm-hmm. So, um. You know, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, uh, you know, uh, how you, uh, Lieutenant Bedner, you were talking about protecting their rights to be able to to um, be 
active and go outside and what about the rights of people who have not yet been convicted of a crime who are in the jail and now infected with a disease that can kill people well we are in a strange time um we you know one of the things that happened was our judiciary took on that zero bail schedule and so there's a lot of crimes that are quote unquote nonviolent crimes um, and they will be released on citation. And we met with the judges regarding this, come up with a very good plan. If there is a public safety issue, we have the ability to call a judge and explain what that public safety issue is. And the judge can assign a bail to that person. But those are only for the public safety issues. Um, we've had a couple of guys who, well, stolen cars. Um, a couple of guys who just love to steal cars. They were released on uh, zero bail, were never booked, went out and stole another car, released again, never booked, and then uh, went and burglarized a place and stole a bunch of firearms. Well, you rung the bell, winner, winner, you get to stay this time. Um, so we're seeing the jail basically distilled down to people that we cannot release. And it's not up to us whether or not we release them. It's up to the judiciary. It's up to the judges. And those judges... They're all very good and conscientious people. And when they say that somebody's going to stay, it's for a reason. And that reason is almost always public safety. And, um, you know, we're doing everything that we can to keep the populations low. We were having a heck of a time when the state prison system said, we will not take inmates from you. Uh, we were sitting at, correct me if I'm wrong, John, almost 50 inmates that belonged, that had been sentenced to state prison. And they said, we will not accept them from you. We were receiving uh, roughly $93 a day from the state prison system to house these inmates. Um, we had one inmate that was between uh, medical treatments and staff time was costing us over $6,000 a week. So, I mean, it's not equitable. Um, I don't believe it to be real fair, but, um, you know, these are the times that we're living in. So we have to do our best to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Well, and it, it and, sounds like the population at the jail is 260, right? There's about 260 inmates. Um, doesn't it seem like the next step, the, the best way to deal with this is to just get everybody in the jail vaccinated? I mean, wouldn't that solve a lot of, of these problems or, or would it? I, you have to remember the jail is not a static population. The sentence side is much more static than the unsentenced side. And, you know, the, the, the issue then comes down to if we've got them coming through the door and rotating through, it's a two-shot system. How do we get that second vaccination to them? And a lot of these folks, um, you know, they get released, they go into the wind. And we... It, I'm not sure how that would work. I'm sure that Dr. Korn and Dr. Doan, you know, they're good, good, excellent people from Mendocino County. And I'm certain that they're thinking of these exact same problems as well. Now, on the sentence side, um, we know how long a person is going to be with us. And so I think that we can, you know, get that done, get a lot of different things that can happen there. But on that other side that is not a static population, it's a little more concerning. What are the numbers there? How many people are in the, the population that, that it has been convicted versus the ones waiting for their trials? John, do you have a percentage on it? Um, I, I don't have that in front of me, Sheriff. Well, Alicia, normally we run 
just about, I would say, 60-ish percent non-convicted. And then 40%, you know, it, it, it runs 55 to 60% pretrial. And then uh, about 45%, 40 to 45% uh, post-trial. Okay, so more people are in pretrial than than who have been convicted at trial. Um, but what about the average kind of sense stay? Uh, how long are people usually there pre-trial? And it sounds like the court system is rolling a little bit slower these days because of the pandemic. It, it is rolling slower because of the pandemic. But we have to be very grateful right now that 100% of the court system, the public defender's office, Jeff Aaron, is just a good man. He's working very hard with us to get the video arraignments done, get those things done to keep the system moving. Um, and, you know, it's just like anything else. When you're up against the wall, everybody works together. And, you know, our numbers, they sound a little off when you've got 60 percent, you know, roughly pre-trial and 40 percent post-trial. And most people would listen to this and think, well, it should be 50-50. But a lot of our post-trial go to the state prison system. They don't go into our sentence side. With AB 109, a lot of the inmates that we would have had on misdemeanor convictions for up to 365 days, now we can have prisoners in jail for 7 to 12 years. Um, it's really kind of stood California on its ear because... County jails were not built to house a person for several years on end. Right. And have you released people uh, who you were able to release since the beginning of the pandemic? And if so, how many folks have you released from that population? Well, we've done the uh, the 4024s, the early releases, things like that, where we have the ability to do so and where there's no public safety risk. But we have to weigh this out. And, you know, we've had people on both sides of the coin clamoring about this well you should keep them for the rest of their lives we've had some people you know i've received some emails and whatnot saying oh you should just release all the inmates well my idea behind that is why don't you call all the victims and ask them how they'd feel about it everybody seems to forget that we do have victims of these crimes and if you start releasing some people who have a long history of not making the best choices i think that we can probably let history uh, be a roadmap to what the future might look like. And that's why we're constantly in this balancing act, working with the judges, working with the district attorney, the public defender. Um, and trust me, we had our jail down to, what were we at, John, 190 at one point? I don't know if John's still with us. But Sorry, I... I Lieutenant Bender, are you there? Uh, Multitasking? Yeah, I believe the lowest that we hit was 183. Okay. And what would and a, so, what would an, a normal uh, population be versus 183? How many folks did, ended up being released under your pandemic precautions? Well, during that specific time of the year, it, it was it could reach 300. That was during the summertime. So. And now, right now, it's about 260. Is that right? Yeah. 
All right. Um, Sheriff Kendall, you were talking about vaccines at the jail and the challenges of them. But you were talking you were saying that the that Dr. Corin, our public health officer here in Mendocino County and Dr. Dewin, who is our former public health officer, but who is now uh, an advisor uh, to the county, um, are are working on a policy. Do you have any information about the plans for I, vaccinating inmates and how when or um, what we can expect I, I don't have any information on that alicia what i do have information on is um our outbreak testing and then working on that uh, surveillance testing that is going to be constant all the way to the the pandemic and that's going to come through public health through public health working with NAPCARE. okay so how's that going to work well we will have the surveillance testing once we get through the pandemic and we're we're once we get through this outbreak in the jail but until we do we've got to continue testing twice a week in the jail the officers are going to be tested down at often serve when they get off duty or just prior to coming on duty that is going to clear up a whole lot of, of issues there and then we're going to try to do a hundred percent of the jail kind of on a rotating basis throughout the entire week so that we've got those um, questions answered pretty darn frequently because if you have one test and it takes four days to get back um, in that meantime you could be doing a lot more testing and then when they begin to roll in and we've got daily um, you know or at least two or three times a week test numbers then we can continue to work on the issues make sure that we don't have contacts things like that once we get through that portion of it then we're going to go to the um, surveillance testing and that surveillance testing is one of the things that we discussed on our call last night that surveillance testing will be that constant revolution you know it'll it'll roll like a wheel and then we can stay ahead of that with the antigen testing i believe is the word that they use for it Uh, so hopefully you know that will get us where we need to be as far as we we realize we're going to have problems the only thing that we can do is keep the problem small. We can't control the pandemic, but we can control our the way that we deal with it, the uh, reaction to it. All right. So while we're in the outbreak, you're going to be doing outbreak testing weekly that will test every inmate. Is that right? Yes. And then once um, you get through the outbreak, which will when you when you say you're through the outbreak at the jail, that means no cases at the jail, right? Yes. And. According to the other sheriffs who have been through this, it usually, they they told me at day 16, you're going to feel like it's going to last forever. But by day 21, it's usually over. All right. And what day are we at now? I think we're at day nine. Nine. Nine or ten. Okay. So you have a long, you have a long New Year's week ahead of you. um, And and the population at the jail, the community out there certainly I'm sure is, is pretty anxious um and then surveillance testing how frequently you said it would roll like a wheel but how frequently will you expect to test everybody staff and inmates as you move forward well i would imagine it would be a minimum of three times a week and with some of that antigen testing it is really uh, quick and that makes it uh much easier because then you aren't waiting for results with that um, kind of quick test, the, the quick turnaround yeah. test. All right. Well, I want to um, give listeners a chance to call in uh, and ask ask questions about this. I know that a lot of people are very concerned, both people with family members and friends in, in the jail, but also, you know, just the larger community, as we know, uh, 
outbreaks at facilities, congregate living facilities like jails uh, can be generators for cases, right? So that, um, and they don't stay confined to the jail itself. They they tend to um, bleed out into the, the larger community. So it is a very serious situation for everybody. Uh, and so I want to give people a chance to call in. The number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. I'm Alicia Bales. On the line with us is Sheriff Matt Kendall and Lieutenant John Bedner, who is the PIO for Corrections at Mendocino County, um, who has been working on the, the jail outbreaks. So if you have any questions uh, or comments, you can give a call and um, we'll put you on the air. Um, I would like to ask from your perspective on the ground, both of you, um, you know, California is making a name for itself in its jails and prisons um, for our enormous numbers of infections for many, many missteps at different stages of the pandemic uh, and for really um, tragic numbers of deaths in our incarcerated population. And I, I wonder um, how you guys see Mendocino County's jail kind of fitting into that larger picture and any lessons that, you know, that you're taking from the situation, um, you know, as, as you're experiencing it. Well, the way that it's fitting in for us is one of the nice things is if there is a nice thing to come from this, we realize that there are therapeutics now that are going to be extremely helpful, especially for the older populations. And because we have the ability to identify those older populations much more rapidly than you could in just a Joe average neighborhood, um, we think that we can get those therapeutics to them. That was one of the things that we discussed with Dr. Duan last night. Um, we uh, feel like we're sitting in a much better location than what we would have been on April 1st. So just in terms of, of being able to take care of sick inmates. Yes. All right, we do have a caller. Let's go ahead and see what's on their mind. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Yes, my name is Louise Bell, and my son is Robert Bell, who's an inmate in your Mendocino County Jail now. We're originally from Texas, but um, I am always concerned about my son's health in the facility. He's never been incarcerated before this last 10 months of his life. He's never been had a lot of com- complete contact with outside people so much. Uh, he grew up in, in a home in southeast Texas and with my family. And Anyway, I'm very concerned because he uh, has to take medications and is on a really good program there, and most of the staff uh, know him. Um, I am always concerned about my son and his health in there, and COVID is really kind of scary thing. I live in Willits, California, and uh, I don't get to go over there very often because I am uh, tired and disabled myself. Um, at any rate, I'm glad to hear your program today and what the uh, gentlemen have to say, but I'm really concerned about my son, Robert, and his health in there. Well, Louise, I tell you that we are equally concerned about your son, um, and that's why we're going to do everything that we can to keep everyone as safe as we can. Okay, well, thank you so much for whatever you can do. And he's supposed to go to court before a judge in January. And hopefully, I hope everything will be will come out all right to where he can maybe be out because he's going to be on a program. Well, he's going to be on a program when he's released anyway. So I just really want to keep tabs and, and uh, the, the uh, 
hopefully everything will come out okay. But thank you very much. I, I hope that uh, he said he, he called me and told me that he was tested, and it kind of scared him so because he's never had a lot of uh, – he's really there on extenuating circumstances. Uh, but thank you. I, I was, I'm really concerned about all of this. Well, thank you for calling in, Louise. We're going to do everything that we can to keep your son safe. I'll give you more word on that. All right. Thank okay. you, Louise. Thank you. Take okay. care. And I wonder if you have any advice for family members like Louise uh, who are concerned about their their loved ones in the jail. Um, how can they find out about how they're doing? Well, they can contact the jail captain, myself, Lieutenant Bedner. Our email addresses are listed on the Sheriff's Office website. Um, I take phone calls all day, every day. If there's any concerns and anything needs to be put to rest, please just let me know. All right, let's take another call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Good morning. I had a quick question. Are there any individuals uh, who are incarcerated right now that are from uh, homeless circumstances? Thank you. Did you Um, hear the question? I did. I'm trying to run through my mind everybody who is incarcerated um, and, and that's a lot for me to run through my mind and you got to remember um, a lot of these guys I know just from being a deputy here for 30 years um, we constantly have folks um, who are in and out of homeless situations or couch surfers or things like that not a single one is popping up right now in my mind John perhaps you can answer that one. Oh, I think we have one I'm Hang on a sec. I'm not going to throw his name out here, but uh, I'm pretty sure that we have at least one that that I know of. There could be more. Sheriff, I'm thinking the same. I, there's one or maybe two individuals that I know of that uh, could be homeless. Okay. So we're not seeing a, a, a huge proportion of the, the inmate population that's coming from the homeless community. No, and a lot of that... Uh, Alicia, is because um, with the exception of occasionally some big crime of violence, most of the things that go on in the homeless community are things that we are not booking on right now because of the zero dollar. It's drug violations, it's some theft violations, um, trespassing, things like that, but it's not residential burglaries. Occasionally we'll have some type of a We'll have some type of a serious fight or um, an assault with a deadly weapon. Um, we've got one of those guys in right now who's in on absolutely assault with a deadly weapon. Um, and I believe that he uh, is in that homeless community. But most of the crimes that these guys would normally commit with the zero dollar bail, they're not going to spend much time in there. And, you know, under the old system before AB 109, county jail had... A lot of, I mean, it was built for misdemeanors. Um, set inside was sentenced misdemeanors. And if you got your fourth DUI or third DUI, you might do 180 days. Um, uh, it was people who had um, various addictions and things like that where they were sentenced to time. But that time ran in conjunction with therapeutics. It was a lot of classes, a lot of AODP stuff. And then, you know, it as they walked out the door, there was a handshake made with probation and they would continue on with that. But now it's been rendered down to a lot of felony offenses where we're keeping people for 
a much longer time. And the misdemeanor stuff simply isn't getting the same. It's not getting dealt with the way that it was before. Uh, misdemeanors now are mostly citations. And if you are um, a person with addictions and whatnot, that citation is not going to help you. If you do show up to court, the judge can say, well, um, you know, we, we would appreciate it if you would go to these classes. But if you don't, um, you're going to get misdemeanor warrants for your arrest and probably not much is going to happen over that. And so at times I get extremely concerned with the uh, with the issues that we've been seeing with overdose, with the issues that we've been seeing with various other things. I'm just concerned that this problem will continue to grow until such time that we reach the uh, the pinnacle of it. And, and I don't want to see what that's going to look like. All right. We have another call. Good morning, call. You're live on the air. Oh, good. Thank you. I'm, I'm live right now. Yep. You're live on the air now. Okay, good. I have a question to the sheriff's office about um, reliability. Like, we're having to count on you right now to help with the COVID, with the sheriffs coming in and out, uh, the inmates coming in and out. And at the same time, we've seen a rise of uh, cartel activity in our county that just seems to go unchecked by your office. So I'm wondering how we can trust you all on these issues. And I can take my answer off air. Thank you. Okay. Did you hear the question? Yeah, I did. And the rise of cartel activity, we've been seeing this grow and grow and grow. Um, can you, just and, for those of us who aren't in the know, what do you mean by the rise of cartel activity? Well, recently um, we've had some major crimes of violence um, up. We've got missing persons from Kovalo that we absolutely are know um, are cartel related, uh, came from grow sites up there. Um, I began dealing with a lot of extremely out of control um, cartel type activity, especially in the northern portion of the county. And then it spilled over into Trinity County um, when it, it's like a balloon. When you begin pushing on it in one area, it's going to pop out in the other. And when um, you say been, cartel, do you mean organized crime? Organized crime. Okay. And it is mostly... Right now, what we're seeing a lot of is in the northern area. Um, I know that Humboldt County is dealing with it. Trinity County is dealing with it. Um, we have just seen this massive rise. And so, you know, this year we took, I believe, over 250,000 marijuana plants, uh, seized several firearms, and we lost I, I want to say 40 to 45 days of our season to deal with those problems due to the August complex. Um, the August complex took just a massive number of personnel from the sheriff's office to deal with because we ha we literally had the largest fire in the state of California knocking on the front door of Mendocino County. So in terms of the caller's question about um, reliability and trustworthiness around the response to the cartels, any response to that question? Well, we've been dealing with it for years. Not certain uh, how you would speak in the converse of reliability. Um, I, I'm not certain how to answer that question with the exception of we're going to keep on keeping on. And uh, a lot of this is going to deal with, you know, I'm working with the board to get more personnel to 
jump on just these crimes. All right. Well, we're coming down to the end of the hour, so I think we better wrap up so that we don't get cut off. So let's go ahead and um, any I'll invite you to sort of say anything that we we didn't cover that you want to make sure gets said during this hour. And uh, we can start with you, Sheriff Kendall, and then go to Lieutenant Bednar. Well, I just wanted to reach out and say thanks. First, to KZYX for helping us get this message out here. People get concerned when there isn't enough information, and you guys have always been a good partner to us getting that information out. And it doesn't matter whether it's fires or pandemics. Really appreciate the partnership with you. Um, public health has been absolutely wonderful. Doctors doing and Dr. Corn working together with us. Becky Emery, um, you know, God bless her. She's she's another gal who grew up in Cobolo. Um She's put a shoulder into things because she cares about the county because she cares about the people and one thing that i would like to put out there and make sure that people understand there are some people who say well a person's in jail they get what they get the fact of the matter is we want them to walk out the door better off than what they were when they walked in and that's a goal and it's a goal that we've set and keeping them safe while they're in there very important but making sure that their families and their loved ones know that that's what we're doing just just as important all right and lieutenant bedner i just kind of want to echo what the sheriff said you know our, our goal is to make sure that everybody is safe in the jail and doing everything we can to, to make sure that they walk out of the jail safe um that, that's that's paramount to us so we're going to continue working towards that and um as the sheriff said you know if folks have questions uh, my email is on the, the sheriff's office website. They can shoot me an email and I'll be more than happy to respond. Okay. And do you have a number where people can reach you? Uh, they can reach me through the... Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the main number that they can reach uh, myself, Captain Pierce, or even the sheriff at is 707 uh, 463 4411. 4411. All right. Thank you very much. This has been Alicia.